All right. Um, I did think that when you said that you could put one of those in your yard, and if you don't have room in your yard, I thought you were going to say put it in somebody else's yard. But I, that'd be pretty proactive there. <laughs> but uh, uh, tonight we're going to enter into First uh, Corinthians thirteen. Um, and uh, I've entitled this, Love the Essential Ingredients. Um, and a uh, pastor texted me and said, let's make sure we don't rush through this. And the reason is because I'm sure that he feels the importance of this chapter and making sure that we get everything that Paul wants us to get out of this chapter because this is a very important chapter in Corinthians and in all the things uh, that have been talked about. In fact, I, I label this the essential ingredient and um, could even say the quintessential ingredient. Um, back in philosophy, before Socrates, people th- thought that there were um, four elements, earth, wind, and fire. And you're like, some people are like, I know that group. No, <laughs> earth, wind, fire, and water. Um, they thought those were like el- the elements. They didn't know about the periodic table and all that. Um, and uh, with that, they, they thought, well, you know what? There's really got to be an element that's the basis of all those. Um, and so that's where we get quintessential is this fifth element uh, that they thought. They were looking for what's the basis. Now, of course, we know what that element is. We call him God. But anyway, uh, he is the basis for everything. And, but anyway, uh, yeah, I could think that love could be called a quintessential uh, ingredient even. You could say that. Um, and love is high. I mean, it is the answer. In fact, yeah, I could even start singing. All we need is love. see. I, I guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, the Beatles were not quite right on all of that, and I'm sure they didn't have the love we're talking about in mind. But um, they could even see the power of this thing called love. And so, uh, in this, Warren Wiersbe says, few chapters in the Bible have suffered more misinterpretation and misapplication than 1 Corinthians 13. Divorced from its context, it becomes a hymn to love or a sentimental sermon on Christian brotherhood. And so, just so you know, although this is good to use on Valentine's Day and, you know, things like that, Paul wasn't trying to give a first century marriage seminar with 1 Corinthians 13. That wasn't his purpose. Now, does this apply in marriage? Definitely. But that was not really what he was pinpointing here. Um, This is actually the key uh, to what he's been talking about with spiritual gifts in the chapter before and what he will talk about in some of those pinpointing a couple of those in the next chapter. And even the broader sense, it's the key to understanding unity in the church, how the body of Christ is supposed to work, this thing called love. MacArthur explains in this middle chapter, we see the proper attitude and atmosphere, the proper motive and power, the more excellent way, which was mentioned at the end of the last chapter, in which God has planned for all the gifts to operate. Love is certainly more excellent than feeling resentful and inferior because you do not have the showier and seemingly more important gifts. And it's also more excellent than the feeling superior and independent you might get because you do have the those gifts. It is more excellent than trying to operate spiritual gifts in your own power in the flesh rather than in the spirit and for selfish purposes rather than for God's or for God's purposes. So 
Um, we're going to spend, if you've seen your notes, we're going to spend some time in the introduction to this. So you're like, oh my goodness, Brother Chris is going to take forever before he even gets the first point. No, no, no. So if you're a football fan, once we get to the first point, we're like, you know, two minutes before halftime of the game. All right. So just so you know, we're not going to be staying here all night. But I thought as I kept thinking about this and going over this, boy, we really need to look at what love is before we go in and get this description of it to understand what we're talking about. And um, one of the key verses is this right here, 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now that is a deep statement. For God is love. Because I think for us to get the right meaning of love going into this chapter and getting this description where he breaks it down, let's make sure we're understanding what kind of love we're talking about and where it comes from. Um, God is love. Now, in our English language and in others, we need to understand what's being talked about here. So in some statements that we use, is means equals, like A equals B, okay? This relationship is in algebra. I like math. And in algebra, you can swap things, you know? You can swap things around the equal side, and there's no problem. We do this in certain definitions. So uh, a bachelor is an unmarried man. You can reverse it. An unmarried man is a bachelor, okay? Um, A triangle is a closed three-sided figure. You could reverse it. A closed three-sided figure uh, is a triangle. No problem. You can do this. Well, but God is love. Love is God? No. That's not what this statement is saying. And in fact, I think this is the understanding that people get today. I mean, I was naming some songs and having fun. But really, if you listed most of the secular songs today, the vast majority, what are they about? They're about love. But is the love, is it the love we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? No. And if you watch movies, and I mean, it's always there. Love will get us through. Love will conquer all. But what kind of love are you talking about? Romantic love? This is what the world thinks of. And they've really, if you want to be honest, they've made love their, well, the way they see it, a God. We need to know what this means, and this kind of understanding is not what this verse is getting at. In some statements, is is predicated. It's predicating something about a subject. What that means is it's saying something about that. Let me help you understand. Brother Chris is short. Who said amen? (laughs) Brother Chris is short. Okay, now... (laughs) It doesn't mean that I am shortness itself. What you're saying is you know what shortness is, and you can say that about Brother Chris. And whether he likes it or not, it's just true. Okay, it's just on the average, you know, I'm below the average. So, you know, anyway, uh, Brother Chris is short. But this is really what we're saying about God, because we are, we're saying God is loving. Is that really what we want to say? Is that what this verse is saying? That God is loving. Because here's what we do also, and this happens in a lot of churches. We take our concept of love, we apply it to God, and we raise it up a level. That's not, that's not right either. That's a wrong understanding. And this is where we get things where later on, uh, you know, when he talks about this, he will, put, he will pair up love with truth. And this is people dump this to allow us to do anything under the name of love because they put their version of love on God. Yeah, and that's not the way it's to be, okay? And so really, God isn't just loving. Love is an aspect of his very nature. It's what he is. Here's the deal about God. He is not completely comprehensible to us 
It would be like, I don't care how big a bucket, a cup, whatever you want to take to Niagara Falls. You can see how silly that would be. There's only so much of God and his understanding that can fit in our finite brains. He is awesome. And so in order for us to understand him, though, we can grasp an understanding of him. And that's what comes through his word. But God uses language that we can understand. And so there's different titles that he uses. Love is one of them. And we think of love and it brings us to this understanding of God that shows his compassion, his goodness and all those things. We think of purity, holiness comes to mind. And that's how we grasp how, how he is. But to grasp completely, oh, this is why you could study about God all your life for all eternity and you'll never reach the end. Because that's who he is. So God is love. He doesn't just have love. It is part of his essence. See, I can have love. God is love. Knowing more about God teaches me more about love. And this is important because we need to know that what's been talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is not a love that's a human invention, a passion, an emotion, something that we bring about by our effort. It is a God-sourced love. And that's the kind of love, though, that we can have. So going to this verse, the fruit of the Spirit, notice what it lists first in Galatians 5.22. It's love. Now there's other ones, but it's love. And notice it's a fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Brother Chris or Pastor Josh or you. You bear it, but it comes from the Spirit. See, we have to get that from the Spirit. This true God love comes from the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18 says, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That means to be controlled by Him. And when I do, when you do, He produces those fruits, including love in our life. Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So the spiritual fruit love comes from God. And it comes as we are yielded to the Spirit, as we abide in Christ, and He produces it in our life. We can't get this from a feeling. We can't get this from a favorite song. We have to get this from God, who is love. Who is love. Now, in this passage, charity is used in the King James. The way we understand charity today is not what Paul is talking about. Okay, that's not it, all right? It's really not. It's love, and the Greeks had different words. We have one word for love, but they had different words for that. One of these is eros. This is romantic or sexual love. This is actually the, the kind of love that most people think about today when they think about love. See why this is a problem if we think about this is going to make our church work? The world's idea of love? No, romantic love is not going to make our church work. <laughs> you know, it's not the deal. All right, And this really, I don't think Eros is actually used in the Bible, but the Greeks used it. What is used, though, is phileo, or phileo brotherly love. That's where we get Philadelphia, okay? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know how loving they are, but anyway, it, it's known as the city of brotherly love, okay? So anyway, phileo, it, it's brotherly love, it's kinship, it's that close friendship with, you know, uh, best buds, that kind of thing. That's, that's the kind of love, that's a great love, but that's not the love that's in 1 Corinthians 13. That's not the love that God is. The love that he is, is agape. Agape is a self-sacrificing love. It looks for the good of the other person. And it goes crazy lengths to make it happen. It's a self-sacrificing love. This is the word in the Greek that's used um, in the verses that I've already used and in 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, MacArthur says this word actually was not found much in Greek literature outside of the New Testament, which was originally written in Greek, but the New Testament uses it a lot. You know what that tells me? That the love that we're supposed to have that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is one that the world is not used to very much. But God is. And God and the early church had and wants us to have is this agape love. We see it right here. God commendeth his love toward us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the extent of agape love. Self-sacrificing love. John 13, 34 then says this. He says, New commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. How much? Well, you just saw in the last verse. That ye also love one another. This is the love the church is supposed to have. And notice this, by this shall all men, this is agape love, when people see this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love, this kind of love, one to another. And this is the love that Paul is one to instill in 1 Corinthians 13 in the Corinthian church. This is the kind of love that he is wanting. Dr. David Jeremiah says, Every spiritual gift must be exercised in accord with the character and heart of God's love as cataloged here or in the verses that will follow in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So I wanted to give this introduction about love because we need to make sure we're centering on this is the love, God is love. This is agape love. This is the love that Jesus Christ had for you and me when he died on the cross for us. And this is the love that he wants the church to have. Not in misconception that the world has when they say love. This is a different kind of love. This is a God love that we are supposed to have. So going from here, there's some things that Paul points out. Number one, speech without love is nothing. Speech without love is nothing. It says in the first verse here, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity... I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, in this, he's going to say several times that whatever you've got here without love, it's nothing. Chuck Swindoll says this. Paul wants to impress upon his readers a vital formula. Everything minus love equals nothing. Whatever you got minus love, zero. Yeah, but I'm without love, zero. But I can do without love, zero. Yeah, and not just any old love, we're talking about this agape love. Okay, so as we go through, I was looking through at some things he said, and I wrote down these thoughts. There are some consequences of doing things without this love. Here's the deal. Uh, they go from the worst to not quite so bad, but still bad. 
Okay, so there's some different things that can happen. Here's the deal, one thing. We can do all kinds of, and we'll see some different things that you can do and still avail to nothing. Basically, you can do some things and do a lot and do it without love. Nothing is accomplished. How horrible is that? I mean, who here, who here as a child, whether it's at home or maybe, I don't know, you're in daycare or somewhere, you built something really nice and worked on it really hard. And your brother, sister, or whoever came and knocked it all down. And all that you had done, your masterpiece, is gone. And they thought the greatest thing in the world was to destroy it. Everything you did, as great as it was, is now nothing. And we can do a lot of things. And if we do it without love, Paul says it's nothing. So here's one of the consequences. Absolutely nothing will be accomplished. Now, God is in control, so some things can change. Sometimes nothing spiritual is accomplished. And later on, we'll look at the fact that you can serve. Uh, so you could actually feed you know, people and help them out and do it without love, and they could get food, and yet spiritually you may not accomplish anything. If you did it all for show, if you did it all so people could see you and how wonderful you are, that you did that and helped those people. You know, that kind of idea? That's the mindset you have? There may be nothing spiritually accomplished. Now, they ate the food. It was good. But that's all that was accomplished. And then sometimes God's just like, you know, despite that person, I will still accomplish things. You know, we'll bring up a person from the Old Testament that happened with. Uh, Spiritual things are accomplished, but nothing goes to you as far as rewards, blessings, or spiritual growth. So in spite of what you do, God may choose to use it anyway because he can do anything he wants. And we'll show you a figure later on that, in fact, he did that with. But as for you, you'll get nothing. And that's a sad thing. So none of these things are good. None of these things are good at all. Once again, that first verse, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm becoming in this love. I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, Paul is going to use what's called hyperbole a little bit. It's where you're going over the top in what you say. Okay, such as, well, everybody does that. Well, you could say, well, we haven't taken a survey. But you just say that because you want people to know a lot of people do. Okay, Uh, and so we can sometimes talk over the top. And this is what Paul's doing. Because here's the deal. The the, The Corinthian church... A lot of them just think they're the most wonderful thing ever. Okay. All right. And so with that, he wants to give these crazy things out here that are so far out that he can say that, look, if you do these without love and they do nothing, then you can pull it back and say, so whatever you're doing without love is worth nothing. And so he's going to use some, some wild stuff to, to say that. Okay. So he's going to say this about the sounding brass, the tinkling cymbal. By the way, one of these, he might, some people think he's referring to some pagan stuff that use, they use these type of things, but perhaps not. Swindoll explains some have misunderstood Paul's use of rhetorical device of hyperbole in this passage. And understanding this to make a distinction between a kind of speaking in tongues as a human language, language and a type of speaking in tongues as a heavenly, angelic, or prayer language. In other words, this has been pulled out of context to prove that there's a heavenly language and you can speak it. Um, the Greek construction, however, suggests that Paul added this reference to angelic languages simply to push his example to the highest conceivable extreme. Look, if you can even speak the tongue of angels... I don't even know what that is. But if you can speak it, and you did it without love, 
Doesn't amount to anything. Nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I was... Um, uh, last Saturday, I, I like to get up and, and fix breakfast, and so um, I was fixing breakfast. And I, by the way, I don't fix healthy breakfast. It's, it's there's bacon, there's got to be some sausage, hash browns. I throw plenty of butter in there. After the oil on the bottom of the hash browns, you know, it's just what it is. May Jesus come back soon. And uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> but anyway, I make it that way. But if if your house is like mine, a lot of the pans you pull out from under the oven, that little drawer there. So, I don't know. My shoulders hurt, but I was still feeling like I wanted to show some manliness as Nathan was walking in the, uh, the kitchen. And so, I pulled out the pan I needed and yanked it out. And, of course, the pans were on top of it, made all this noise, you know. And Nathan walks up. Daddy, really? Was that necessary? <laughs> and it reminds me of this verse. Unnecessary noise. You can't understand what Paul's saying. They think speaking in tongues makes them come and meet me. And Paul says, without love, here's my version. Without love, your speech is like throwing pots and pans down the stairs. Do you understand how, I mean, they probably got offended. But Paul's saying, look, it doesn't matter. Without love... That's about what it amounts to. That's about what it amounts to. Okay? Without love. You're, and I would even take this, and I think he's gearing mainly towards spiritual gifts here. But even beyond that, anytime we speak with our mouth and think that we're something and do it without love, it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. Um, yeah, I was writing, actually it was five or six. And I think, I've told this before, I think. But I was riding in the car and I'm on the radio, and so a commercial that I made came on. And I was sitting there, and I go, who's that, Ashley? She goes, Daddy. I go, yeah, it's a daddy, ain't it? She said, Daddy, do you love yourself? (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking through a child. (laughs) You know what? I can tell you, she didn't get anything out of that commercial. She didn't hear anything out of that. She heard that daddy loved himself. Yeah. So we can speak, and you think you're saying something great, and if it's done without love, that may be all that people get. That's sad, isn't it? You know, so here's something to think about as we go through some of the rest of this, and not to make a mistake. What should not be taken from these passages is that we should not do a good job. You know, God is the greatest boss. He is the greatest king. He is the greatest everything. So if we're serving him, we should do our best. There's a thinking in Christianity that, uh, well, we just do what we can. Well, I don't know. This is the king of kings. Shouldn't we give him excellence? So uh, these are not saying that when you do things excellently, that's bad. What it's saying is that if you, even if you do them excellently, if you do a good job without love, it's worthless. That's the deal Paul's making. I'm sure Paul did things great. So that's not his point. But his point is if you do it without love, it's worthless. So speech, even the gift of tongues, if done without love, yeah, it's like pots and pans. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, Knowledge without love is nothing. 
Knowledge without love is nothing. He says in the next verse, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not charity, have not agape love, I am nothing. Now once again, Paul's going over the top because don't read what he's saying. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. I mean, Paul's always saying, even if I'm omniscient, do you understand he's going over the top here? He's doing that to make them understand, I don't care how much you've got. Without love, it's nothing. Without love, it is nothing. Now, in this, uh, Nelson's new illustrated Bible commentary defines prophecy here as the foretelling or foretelling of the revelation of God, either new revelation or divine elucidation, what's already known. Because at this point, the Bible was not finished. And so, yeah, there were still prophets that would speak and would, I mean, Paul was still writing letters, you know, inspired letters. And so um, that was going on. That isn't going, I don't believe that goes on today, as Pastor Josh said before. Uh, we have God's completed word. You know, and so today, prophecy for us is more a thing of where the Bible is explained, and for and we tell it to others and proclaim it. Um, you know, and, and more will be said about that in, in, in chapter fourteen. But back then, it would it would contain that kind of thing. So it was it was a gift to have uh, this gift of prophecy and mysteries. Mysteries in the Bible are hidden truths that are now made known. Many times, those are truths that even Old Testament prophets didn't understand. And people were looking at it, even when Jesus came, they didn't quite understand all of them. But then suddenly Jesus and then Paul after him made these very clear things that weren't understood before. And those would be what the Bible calls mysteries. So he says that though you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, which I think that must have been pretty awesome and cool, and and all knowledge, he says at the bottom that, um, yeah, if you have not charity, he says, if I have all that, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Now, once again, don't make the mistake. We should know. So Paul's not saying here, well, you know what? We should just be ignorant in Jesus' name, and it's okay, and that's just the way to be. No. No. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we should try to know God's word as much as possible. We should try to understand it as much as possible. That's why it's wonderful that people come out on Wednesday nights because you want to learn more. I think that's awesome. I want to learn more. We should all want to learn more. Okay, we should. But if we do that and have all this knowledge and have it without love, we become arrogant, prideful, snobbish. It's very easy to do. Very easy to do. Look what can happen when people don't have all this knowledge. Um, I just read through this. Read, this was in my Bible reading this morning. Uh, Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's better than any knowledge, period. And you can't do that without love. You can't do that without love. It's not saying that they should stay unlearned or they should be ignorant. All they're saying is we know these guys didn't get the education that a lot of the religious people have. But man, there's a difference. We can tell they've been with Jesus. There is a difference there. 
So I know you've heard the quote, but I'm going to quote it here. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They really don't. It's not to mean you shouldn't know a lot, but if we don't come across with it with love, it's snobbery, it's arrogance. That's the way it can come across. It can indeed. And I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. And it's a sad thing because having all that knowledge is a great thing. But it can, the devil can even turn that and make you a snob and prideful with all of that. So we should have knowledge, but it's got to be used with love. The next thing, this one seems weird to say, doesn't it? Faith without love is nothing. Now that one seems really weird, doesn't it? Because when you think of faith, you're like, how can you even have faith without being, you know, I mean, how does that even work? You know, how does that even work? Um, the second part of this verse, after he's mentioned the knowledge, he says, and though I have all faith. Now, of course, once again, this is, he's going over the top here. Okay, um, I don't know, is there like an all faith, like you've reached like the full mark or something? I don't know. But <laughs> though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. Uh, who's he referring to here? Who said that before? Not Jesus. Jesus said it. Remember that? Uh, yeah, so that I can remove mountains. In other words, I have the gift, and it was a gift of miracles back then. Though I have the gift that I could work mighty works to God and do it without agape love, I am nothing. Wow. That's, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? That is hard to imagine. But once again, he's showing them, I don't care what gift you have. If you do it without love, it amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you are. Love is the key. It is the key. And I mentioned that there's an Old Testament prophet. Some people think that, that Jonah was, was scared. I don't really remember. I may have overlooked it, but I don't remember being, that he didn't go to Nineveh because he was scared so much. It wasn't that. Do you know why he didn't go? Now, this is really weird. It's because he had an unloving faith. You're like, What? Yeah, listen to what he tells God after. After these Ninevites have repented. You know, I mean, who would have thought they would have repented? After God has changed them, I mean, they've repented. I mean, this is a great revival has gone on. Jonah's not happy. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray to you, Lord. Was not this my saying? Did I not say this when I was yet in my country? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know who you are, God. He says, therefore, I fled before Tarshish. This is why I left. This is why I fled. It's not because he's scared. Because he's faithful knowing what God is. What, who God is. For I knew thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and a great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. His problem wasn't faith. He had a huge faith in God. He really believed God could bring repentance in Nineveh among those heathen, evil people. He didn't say, I don't know if God could ever do that. He, no, that wasn't his problem. He totally believed that God could do that. His problem was he didn't want that. He wanted those people to die. He had faith without love. He wanted those people to die. He really did. His problem was that he knew exactly what kind of God God was. 
and that God could change those people's hearts. That I mean, he knew what God was. Yeah, he didn't want it. Yeah, faith without love. You know, have you ever thought about who wrote the book of Jonah? I think it was Jonah. You know, I mentioned before about the whole thing about, well, here's some consequences once again of, of doing, it's just something to think about. The spiritual things are accomplished, but nothing, see, God had a revival there. But nothing goes to you as far as rewards, blessings, or spiritual growth. Nothing went to Jonah. Perhaps, I don't know, God said, Jonah, I will reward you something if you'll write this book. How's it going to end, God? You pouting. Really? Yep. <laughs> that could be perhaps it. That's a, that's a rough book to write, isn't it? Yeah, that's a rough book. But you know what? God's still blessed, and he can. But is that really why we want it? Ah, we should want the blessings of God. We should want for him to not do things in spite of us, but because he's using us and because his love is flowing through us. That's the idea that we should have. We should not want to be Jonah. But yeah, a faith that's unloving. A faith that's unloving. Last of all, service without love is nothing. Service. Now, this can happen a lot in the church. This can happen a lot in the church. And Paul goes over the top once again. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, I'm not quite sure they were burning Christians yet at this point. They would later. Nero would use them as uh, candles, torches in his gardens. But at this point, I'm not sure that had quite happened. Maybe it was happening some. But Paul goes ahead and mentions it. He said, if I did all that, now this is, I mean, you read this, you're like, wait a minute, this is really? I give my body to be burned and have not charity? It profiteth me nothing? A martyr? I'm not sure you could go above service more than being a martyr, you know. So like I said, Paul's going to the extent to help you understand that this is the wild point out here and it doesn't work without love, so anything underneath it doesn't either. Okay, he's making sure he hits all the bases. And here's the deal. Actually, to tell you the truth, the church in some of the early years had to tell people to stop trying to be martyred. There's actually some historical data that they were trying to tell people, hey, okay, martyr for your faith is good, but you shouldn't be doing it just because you think God rewards you and you're going to try to get in trouble and get martyred. Okay, that's probably not the... I know that sounds crazy to us, but... That was a mindset that was going on with that whole thing. And they were doing that, trying to get martyred, because that means they're going to get all these wonderful rewards in heaven. Kate, God rewards, that's not exactly what he was shooting for. Um, You know, that's not the game plan. Uh, Yeah, but you know what? You can do do some stuff as far as this goes in, in service to the Lord and not have love. All of us can, I mean, you can just imagine, and I will testify, I have done it. You can serve for reasons that are not love. You can serve to be seen. You can be a martyr in your church. Look at me. Look how much I do. Do y'all see how much I do? I just keep going. Who's that glorifying? You know. Uh, you can always tell if you get mad when you don't get the attention for what you did. That'll always tell you if you're in the flesh or not. That'll tell you. Did somebody recognize what you did? No. 
Who are you doing it for? God? Because he recognized it. Or people. Yeah. So it's, this can be done very easily, and Satan is a master at getting people to do this. Especially, I mean, you can start out right, and he will tell you what a good job you're doing and what a wonderful person you are. You, just, you ever look what you're doing? What a wonderful Christian you are. That's amazing. Do people know what you're doing? Do they? You could make people know more about what you're doing. I mean, he can, he can bring that up. I know, because I've, I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he does that kind of thing. If he can get you to do things without love, it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's Paul's point right here. If he can get you to do it without love, and that's exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. They were gifted beyond measure. Paul said, you guys have all the gifts. We're not talking about an untalented team here. They had it. But it wasn't with love. And look at the mess. We know them today. We look at, you know, different But We know the Corinthians. We go to 1 Corinthians. We know what we're going into. Hey, here's where you find a bunch of trouble in the church. Isn't it? That's what we know 1 Corinthians as. We know. I mean, it's, that's, it's not all about that. That's what we know. Because they were doing it without love. They were doing it without love. MacArthur says, when sacrifice is motivated by self-interest and pride, it loses its spiritual value. Even accepting agonizing death of the faith profits nothing if it's done without true divine love. No matter how much a person may suffer because of his Christian service and testimony, he has no spiritual gain if his witness and work are not ministered in love. The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing. I don't know if I can put it much better than that. That's rough, isn't it? That is rough. Uh, finally, J. Vernon McGee summed it up. Look at it this way. <laughs> I like J. Vernon. <laughs> Write down a string of zeros. Eloquence alone is zero. Prophecy alone is zero. Knowledge alone is zero. Faith alone is zero. Sacrifice alone is zero. Martyrdom alone is zero. Six zeros still after nothing. You put the numeral one to the left of that string of zeros. And every zero amounts to something. And friend, love is the thing that needs to be added to every gift of the Spirit. Without love, your gift is worthless. So I hope this has been a good way to introduce this chapter on love. More will be said about identifying it with a great description. And really, if you just did as a literary work, one of the greatest pieces of literature I think that's ever been written is in this chapter.